I'm a stand-up comedian, performer. One of the gigs that I used to do was at this little uh, shit bar, a little dive bar. You go on there and tell your jokes. Nobody's there. Nobody in the audience. You're a fucking dump. But I used to do stand-up comedy at this little club. And before the show, I would go and, you know, I'd sit down and have a coffee across the street from the venue. There was a little cafe. And at this little cafe, there was this young woman working behind the till. Cute girl, attractive girl, within my age range. You know, I took, no- I took notice of her. Oh, yeah. And I noticed she had a very eclectic style. She wore like, um, you know, she was kind of like a goth, raver, juice head, pill head, leather, punk, like, dominatrixy, kind of like, you know, like, remember, you know, well, kids might not know this one, but this is a pretty popular movie. Do you remember The Matrix from 20 years ago? Oh, do you remember The Matrix? Trinity? Like that leather dominatrix kind of raver chick, candy girl, candy crush, juice head, pill head, you know, derelict kind of strung out looking, you know, with the gothic boots and the the leather pants and the tight stitching and the webbing and like the, you know, like the, the you know, just a real kind of, she had a real kind of kink look to her. And aside from that, she was a very attractive girl. Nice figure, pretty face, but she dressed kind of incitingly. And I remember I would always just look at her and I'm like, yeah, she's like, I don't get what the, what is she trying to portray? Because I saw it as like a costume. I saw it as like a kink. I didn't see it as oh, wow, she looks well put together. What an interesting young woman. I saw it as, wow, she is a pretty attractive woman, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Idly ho, neighbor Runo. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 27th. In the year of our Lord, 2021, welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. (coughs) Would you knock it off? Shut the hell up, Charlie Chicken. Sorry about that, folks. Would you knock it off? Charlie! Sorry about that, folks. You gotta knock it off. I can't take this chicken with me anywhere, you know? He's up at the crack of dawn squawking. <laughs> squawking up a blue streak, waking up the whole neighborhood. He's like, Jonathan, can I come on the podcast this morning? You know, Jonathan, can I be on the podcast? Can I be on the podcast? I'm like, Charlie Chicken. Look, Charlie, I don't know. I don't got time to fuck around today. I got shit to do. He's like, what, what, Jonathan, please, please, please. I'm like, okay, but you promise not to squawk? Charlie, do you promise? He goes, yeah, I promise. And what do you know? First thing, first chance he gets. <laughs> Squawking up a blue streak. I'm sorry about that, folks. Anyways. 
I guess he's sorry. So anyways, everyone, say hi to Charlie Chicken. <laughs> he can't help it. All right, he's, he's just a chicken. Just a rubber chicken, after all. All right, Charlie, off you go, buddy. It's good seeing you. <laughs> a round of applause for Charlie Chicken, folks. Anyways, folks, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramshaw on the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, cabelliac, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. You know, I talk about current events, entertainment, the times of the time. You know, the whole kit and caboodle, folks. You can't go wrong. You know? The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, janathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, you're getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know, it truly is. Yes. We're going to get into some news. Let's get into some news. This is an article from globalnews.ca. Tragic but humorous. You know, the tragic comedy of life. This is an article from globalnews.ca. Father to be killed by gender reveal explosive device. Yeah. What is that? A GRD? Gender reveal device? A GRD? All right. An expectant father was killed in New York State on Sunday while tinkering with a gender reveal explosive device in his garage, police say. Christopher Pankney, 28, was building a device to be used at a gender reveal party when it exploded, killing him and injuring his younger brother, Michael, New York State Police said in a statement. Peckney was expecting his first child, and he was building the explosive to tell friends and family about the child's gender. The mother is expecting a boy, according to Peter Peckney Jr. Peter Peckner piped a pick the pecker to pike pickled peppers. It's neither here nor there, nor the time or place. Sorry about that, folks. Couldn't help it. The mother is expecting a boy, according to Peter Peckney Jr., the eldest brother who was not present when the explosion took place. Michael Peckney, 27, was taken to a hospital for his injuries after the blast. The three Peckney brothers were very mechanically inclined, and Christopher had been trying to build a gender-reveal explosive on his own, Peter Peckney told the New York Times. He called the blast the freakiest of freak accidents that I could ever imagine. Pretty freaky, all right. You can say that again. The police bomb squad is investigating the blast at Christopher Peckney's home in Liberty, NY. It was not immediately clear what triggered the explosion 
or what type of explosive material was involved? Well, if I was going to guess what triggered the explosion was stupidity, um, inflated egos, pompacity, just a general overall buffoonery. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's pretty obvious. Many paid tribute to Christopher Peckney at the family's diner after his death. Gender reveal stunts have become an increasingly popular and dangerous trend over the last decade, particularly at some parents, as some parents have embraced explosives as a way to tell the world about their child's sex. Mm -hmm. A grandmother was killed in a gender reveal explosion gone awry in 2019, and a firefighter died in California while battling a blaze caused by a gender reveal in 2020. Another gender reveal explosive triggered a devastating wildfire in Arizona in 2017, causing more than $8 million U.S. in damage. How many bitcoins is that? Like two? An Arizona wildfire causing more than $8 million in damage. A court later overrided, rather, a court later ordered the father to pay back the full value of the damage over the course of his life. $8 million in damages to be paid back over the course of his life. An Australian man nearly escaped a fiery end in 2018 after his car erupted in flames while burning out its tires in a smoke-related gender reveal. Peckney is the second person to die in a baby-related explosion this month. A Michigan man died in early February 2021 after a novelty cannon exploded at a baby shower. You know, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, but why in the hell would you bring a cannon to a baby shower? People. That's people for you. Parenting blogger Jenna Carvundis, Jenna Carvundis, who is credited with starting the gender reveal trend, has said she regrets introducing the idea to the world. I felt a lot of mixed emotions and feelings about my random contribution to the culture, she wrote in a 2019 article. Who cares what gender the baby is? No kidding. So yeah, that's some latest odd random news coming out of New York State. A 28-year-old man, Christopher Peckney, dies in a gender reveal explosion gone awry. 28-year-old Christopher Peckney, father-to-be, first-time father. <sighs> Very tragic. The takeaway here is during this time of pandemic, during all this time of uncertainty, we're starting to see, at least I am, and I hope others are, seeing for themselves what is important in their life. 
and, you know, areas in which to trim the fat and knock it off with the fucking arrogance and ego. I mean, come on, you were building a gender reveal explosive device in your garage? Does that sound like a good idea to anybody? Apparently, he was very mechanically inclined. Well, not obviously not as inclined enough. You know, I mean, come on. It was a very stupid idea. And it got some pretty stupid results. And generally speaking, what children need is, you know, basic food and shelter. A little bit of, you know, entertainment, you know, every now and then if they do a good job, if they're a good boy or a good girl, you can reward them. You know, if they've been doing their chores, if it's Christmas, you know. You know, if they're getting their little dingling snipped, what do they call that? Like a brisk, you know, depending on your religion, you know. You can get them like, you know, like a Nintendo, a Game Boy or something like that. You know, every now and then you give them something kind of, you know, just to get that excitement. But generally speaking, all kids need is like food, shelter, love and attention. That's it. Basically costs nothing. All this inflated aggrandizement that we try to give to our children I mean not our children I don't have any children but like all this inflated bestowment of gifts and extracurricular activities and trips and clothing and entertainment systems it's really just a cover-up for a lack of parental care and parental control just feed the little bugger feed clothe you know, and love the little bugger. That's it. Take him for a walk. Take him hiking. Simple. Cost nothing. You don't need to do a baby shower reveal. A gender reveal. Blow up half the neighborhood. It's stupid. So, I don't know. I definitely see that in my life. You know, the way I was raised. We would have benefited, we would have benefited greatly from just some of that basic attention basic 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 and i see that lacking in my family and i see that lacking in the world <coughs> pardon me so we have to return to that i would say yes so hey food for thought and um moving along quick sip of water here This is an article from cbc.ca. This one's going to ruffle a few feathers. BC student who was wearing dress over turtleneck sent home for inappropriate attire. Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? Remember that old chestnut, Dana Carvey? Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? BC student who wore dress over turtleneck sent home for inappropriate attire. Norcam senior secondary students in Kamloops staged a walkout Wednesday in support of one of their own. The father of a high school student in Kamloops, B.C., 
who was sent home for wearing what was deemed an inappropriate outfit, says the incident was absurd and should not have happened. Chris Wilson's daughter, a 17-year-old, was wearing a knee-length black dress with lace trim over a full-sleeved white turtleneck. Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? Was wearing a knee-length black dress with lace trim over a full-sleeved white turtleneck. Turtleneck. He said her teacher pulled her out of class Tuesday and escorted her to the principal's office because she was dressed like an escort. I mean, um, he said her teacher pulled her out of class Tuesday and escorted her to the principal's office because of the outfit. My daughter was told that it could possibly make the male student teacher feel awkward and it could make her female classroom teacher feel awkward since it reminded her of a lingerie outfit which she wore 30 years ago when she was a young woman. I added that last part. It could make her female classroom teacher feel awkward since it reminded her of a lingerie outfit, Wilson said on CBC's Radio West. It's actually a very modest outfit when you actually look at it. I think the initial comments were based on the fact that it had lace. Wilson said the incident felt a little surreal and upset his daughter. Ever notice everything surreal to people? It's so surreal. It was just surreal. It was surreal. Really? You felt like you were in a dream state because your daughter got sent home for dressing up like a... I digress. Let me continue. I'm feeling a little surreal right now. We kind of saw the aftermath of her coming home in tears and just really broken up, confused, he said. There was a female who was singled out because what she's wearing could make someone in a position of power over her feel uncomfortable. And the more you think of it, the more you say it, the more you understand that this is absurd. It shouldn't happen. Wilson took to social media, with his daughter's permission, and his post on Facebook has been viewed over 40,000 times. Probably by one single sex offender. <clears throat> I added that last part. Wilson took to social media with his daughter's permission, and his post on Facebook has been viewed over 40,000 times. On Wednesday, the 17-year-old student's classmates staged a walkout in her support. If there's a silver lining to this after-feeling that centered out and awkward, as it is, have... This is a little awkward. This one's like a... so. This is like a quotation, so the grammar here is a little messed up. If there's a silver lining to this after-feeling... That centered out and awkward, it's to have everyone stand up, stand beside you, and say, no, this isn't okay. We're with you. Wilson says the vice principal and principal have handled the situation well 
and the school district superintendent has reached out. We could definitely learn some lessons from it, he said. I know for a fact that they're taking this very seriously and might be an opportunity to promote learning for the teachers as well. The school district told CBC News that it is aware of the situation but has no comment on the event itself. The school has not responded to requests for comment. Yes. So a 17-year-old female student in Kamloops, British Columbia, BC, Kamloops, was sent home for wearing a black lace dress that resembled lingerie. Now the CBC, cbc cbc.ca, has posted a picture of this outfit and the father, apparently with the daughter's permission, posted this picture on Facebook, which garnered 40,000 views. I'm looking at the picture right now. It's on the CBC News website. You know, she looks like a nice young lady, 17-year-old girl, you know. Uh, And she's wearing this dress with the white turtleneck. It's a thin, almost transparent style dress, thin material, spaghetti straps, plunging neckline, a plunging neckline, and lace outline. Spaghetti straps, plunging neckline, lace, thin, transparent material. I'm going to say, and, uh, okay, well, let's take it back a second. Number one, she's 17 years old. So I believe 17, and especially under the guidance of her family, her father, I think 17 is old enough to choose your own wardrobe. You're 17. Wear what you like, you know? I th- Most places in Canada, don't quote me on this, but uh, I think the legal age in... The legal age of adulthood in BC is 19. It's either 18 or 19. I'm pretty sure it's 19. So, you know, she's almost an adult. She's free to wear what she likes. The question becomes, does an institution, does an educational institution have the right to tell a student what to wear? I think that's the question here. And I think we do a disservice to to society when we start playing games of, you know, these little micromanaging, nitpicking kind of, well, I don't know. That's open to debate. I mean, I'm looking at this picture right now. The picture posted on CBC News. It's lingerie. Call a spade a spade, folks. You know, don't ask me how I know, but I know lingerie when I see it, whether I'm wearing it, whether I'm giving it as a Christmas present. I know lingerie when I see it, and that's lingerie, folks. I mean, it's a scantily spaghetti strap, lace, transparent see-through material. It's lingerie. So I don't really think the question is so much 
Does a young woman, a 17-year-old girl, have the right to wear what she wants? Of course, yeah. She's old enough. She can make the choices of how to dress. But should a 17-year-old child be allowed to wear lingerie to school? She was escorted to the principal's office. They explained to her the situation. She's possibly making the male student teacher feel uncomfortable. She's possibly making the dried up, jealous female classroom teacher feel awkward, you know? Should she be wearing this lingerie at school? And that's what it is, lingerie. Now I give this young lady the benefit of the doubt, you know? She's being creative with her style, you know? She looks good, whatever. She's being creative with her style. She's expressing herself. But it is lingerie. It is. And it's not like she's rocking the boat. I mean, come on. Tina Turner's done it. Madonna's done it. Britney's done it. Christina's done it. You know, Gaga's done it. You know, Mick Jagger's probably done it. People wear lingerie. Iggy Pop, like, come on. You're not like shaking the world here. Like, it's not like, oh my God, it's so racy. It's, no, we've, we've been around the block. People have been around the block. We've seen this. You know, and it's not like, oh, wow, it's so unlandish. It's not like she looks. It's not like she looks, you know, cheap or trashy. It's just what the idea of lingerie represents. Especially. To a student body in an educational institution. You know what I mean? And I give the youngsters a benefit of the doubt. You know, any of y'all youngins, any of y'all munchkins at home watching this, like, believe me, I hated school. One of the worst things I ever did was graduate. Like, I went on to college. I wound up getting a college diploma. Truth be told, I should have dropped out in grade 10. Like, this is a good idea of, you know, they, they spoke in the article of it's room for discussion. I mean, yeah, there are students that are in school longer than they need to be. I mean, I knew that I wanted to be an entertainer, an entrepreneur. I knew that I was going to be able to finance that as, you know, a blue-collar worker. You know, I work trade work, you know, construction labor, warehousing, whatever. I do, ma I do my own entrepreneurial tasks. I got the podcast, you know. I'm an actor, stand-up comedian. That's what my trajectory was going to be. So by the time grade 10 came, I was pretty much checked out from school. There was no point. And if there was more of a societal dialogue where it's like, okay, like we're looking at a student, what's your purpose in being here? You know, I could have just dropped out in grade 10. I mean, I didn't need any particular further education, you know, but yet somehow I lingered around, got my high school diploma, went on to college, blah, 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 blah. Waste of time. What are you doing in an educational institution. You're there to learn, to get integrated into a corporate or academic culture. That's your goal if you're going to continue school past a certain point. So it's like, that's, that's a question for me, I ask. Like, what's this student's intention? You know, like, you're just there in school trying to fight the power, bring up all these complaints. You know, it's like, no, you're there to learn. You're not there for a fashion show. Like, it's, it's, a, 
it's a disservice to the student to set them up in this way where it's like, so what, you want to go and find yourself in all these different academic and corporate environments in your life, in your career, and be battling, I have every right to wear this and wear that. It goes against the point of why you're there. You're there to learn, right? What about all these other students who are affected by this strike? The students went on a strike. Perhaps that's disrupting all the other students who are there to learn. They're not there for a fashion show. They don't wear lingerie. They just wear normal clothes and they go to school. It's no big deal to them. But yet they're being disrupted. Their learning is being disruptive. And I give the youth the benefit of the doubt. They know a lot. There's a lot of intelligent, talented, athletic, bright, charismatic youth out there. They truly are the future. And we do a disservice to them when we don't play fair and don't be honest. Like, number one, like I said, I believe this young lady has the right to wear what she wants. She wants to dress how she wants to dress. She wants to be creative. She's got a funky style. That's cool. Cool. More power to you. But we do a disservice to say, to, to skirt the issue, to, to pretend what is happening isn't happening. That is lingerie. I'm like 99% sure. I took a look at the picture posted on CBC News and the picture that her father uploaded. It's lingerie. It's lingerie. That's what it is. And we do a disservice to them by saying that by not, by not facilitating our wisdom. Because here's what is undeniable about youth. In spite of all their brightness, talent, charisma, uh, yeah, learning, blah, 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 oh, wow, you're so popular. In spite of all the great things about these kids, one thing that they do lack is experience. You just do. I was a young man, you know, in my youth, in my, in my uh, well, I still am, I'm a young man, but in my youth, you know, from 17 to 29, my youth, I had this idea that I knew this and I knew that. Well, the truth of the matter was I had a lot of experience. I had a lot of talent. I had a lot of things that I was situated to. But in a general sense, I lacked wisdom, insight, and experience. And we do a disservice to the youth when we, we try to let these little games slide. Like, I understand you're upset and you don't understand and you don't get why Someone would send you home for wearing that. And we're in a time of pandemic where wear a mask, don't wear a mask. School's canceled, school's open, back and forth, back and forth. You finally get back into the classroom. Then you got some stupid nosy vice principal to the principal's office telling you to ch go home and change your little gown. You Go home and change your outfit because this student teacher might not like it. It's so unfair. Yeah, it is. It's a pain in the ass. But we do a disservice to the youth, like the experience of, 
you know, older people, that is lingerie, lingerie you're wearing. And that incites various thoughts, opinions, impulses from people. It's an inciting piece of clothing. It's lingerie. It's meant to be worn in an intimate, personal manner. It's revealing. And does it serve a purpose in an educational institute? I mean, I think the teachers might be right on this one. Generally speaking, I think they're fucking idiots. I hate teachers. But generally speaking on this one, I think they might be right. They might have a point, you know? And I'll cap it off like this. I'm a stand-up comedian, performer. One of the gigs that I used to do was at this little uh, shit bar, a little dive bar. You go on there and tell your jokes. Nobody's there. Nobody in the audience. It's a fucking dump. But I used to do stand-up comedy at this little club. And before the show, I would go and, you know, I'd sit down and have a coffee across the street from the venue. There was a little cafe. And at this little cafe, there was this young woman working behind the till. Cute girl, attractive girl, within my age range. You know, I took, no- I took notice of her. Oh, yeah. And I noticed she had a very eclectic style. She wore like, um, you know, she was kind of like a goth raver, juice head, pill head, leather, punk, like dominatrixy kind of like, you know, like, remember, you know, well, kids might not know this one, but this is a pretty popular movie. Do you remember The Matrix from 20 years ago? Oh, do you remember The Matrix Trinity? Like that leather dominatrix kind of raver chick, candy girl, candy crush, juice head, pill head, you know, derelict kind of strung out looking, you know, with the gothic boots and the the leather pants and the tight stitching and the webbing and like the, you know, like the, the you know, just a real kind of, she had a real kind of kink look to her. And aside from that, she was a very attractive girl. Nice figure, pretty face, but she dressed kind of incitingly. And I remember I would always just look at her and I'm like, yeah, she's like, I don't get what the, what is she trying to portray? Because I saw it as like a costume. I saw it as like a kink. I didn't see it as oh, wow, she looks well put together. What a interesting young woman. I saw it as, wow, she is a pretty attractive woman, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. That's the reality of kink-type clothing. Inciting-type clothing. Lingerie falls under that category. It's intended to incite. You know? So, you know, I don't know. You can have, I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to, do you want to pretend like that's not the reality? I mean, that's what the average man sees when he sees a woman dressed like that. Put it into a little bit of a context here. 
during this pandemic, people are wearing face masks, right? I wear a handkerchief when I have to go to the grocery store. I basically think COVID-19 is a political weapon used to disrupt global economies and to gain control for whatever nefarious reason. COVID-19 basically is a farce. But I do wear a, a mask where I'm asked. If a store wants me to wear a mask, I wear a mask. Well, one day I was just wrapping a handkerchief around my face, going into a grocery store. And this is, and this is the one that I used. Now, what does that pattern incite? What is the first thing you think of when you see a pattern like that on a handkerchief? Somebody wearing that around their face. Somebody having that hang out their back pocket. What is that incite? If you're honest, when you see something like that, you think to yourself, gang member, black, white, Asian, Indian, doesn't matter the skin color. If you see somebody wearing that around their face or that hanging out of a back pocket, one might think gang member. Now, I personally did not want to represent myself that way. So when I got home, I decided I'm never going to wear this type of handkerchief out in public anymore. I'm like, I'll just use something else. You know? Save it for a vodcast. So it's like, I didn't want to misrepresent myself. Now I could be dishonest with myself. Oh no, that's just society's problem. They're not seeing my inner beauty. They're not seeing the real me. They want to judge me because I wear this. No, I'm not a gang member just because I'm wearing this on my face. No, it's my personal style. I'm going to fight the power. I'm going to fight the world. When the truth is obvious, when people see that, they think gang member. Gang members use these type of signatures, signals. Much like lingerie. I mean, yes, it might serve other sorts of stylistic purposes. Generally speaking, when someone's wearing lingerie, it incites certain... Thoughts, opinions, attitudes, impulses. That's what lingerie do. That's what lingerie does. Hit me up, folks. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You got questions, you got queries, you got qualms, you know, you want to weigh in on this matter? Certainly would love to hear from you. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You know, and you got to understand JRP love the kids. You know, I love the kids, you know, like they're the future. And I understand sometimes the, uh, the adults are just quick to judgment and, uh, and a lot of times self-serving. Because that's another interesting component of this article. Generally speaking, when a minor is embroiled in the news, they um, omit their name. Let's say a minor gets into a car accident or is hurt in a, in a car accident. Or if a minor is, you know, arrested for something, they usually keep the, the minor's name out of the newspaper. Well, in this article... 
um, the young student. I didn't mention her name, but the article did. And it's like, oh, she's a young woman and someone's trying to hold power over her. And it's okay for her to wear lingerie in public. People are just closed-minded. And they, and they brandished her name throughout the article and diddly-dum, diddly-doo. It's self-serving. Some can read it that way. That's just my opinion. That's the way I can kind of see it too. It's a little self-serving in my view. Because think about it. People are always in fear of time. You know, I'm getting too old. Oh, you know, when you're young, you want to grow up too quickly. And then when you're old, you want to set back the clock. And there's something about being, you know, you know, somebody, it's, there's something about people when they want to appear in the know, hip, cool to the younger generation and, Yes, of course you should be able to wear that. And yes, we're the adults and we're cool and we're with the kids and we got an ear to the ground and hey, I can jive. You know, I'm cool. Like, or whatever the fuck, you know, kids do these days. Whatever sling, lango they'd use. Lingo. And it's like, it's kind of self-serving because it's like, actually, you know what? Um, we shouldn't be championing this issue. We shouldn't. I mean, yeah, maybe the way they dealt with her was kind of embarrassing and she felt a need to express herself, which she should, you know, people have the right to do that. Though, as adults, we got to call it what it is if we want to be good examples for the youth. It's not about trying to hang in there and look cool to the youth. Like... We, that's very self-serving. Like, I'm a 34-year-old man. You know, I'm, I don't care. I was once 17. I was once a youth from the age of 19 to 29. I was a youth. Today, I'm a young man. I'm 34 years old. I'm not trying to show up and look cool and get the support of the youth. Like, I'm telling you right now, youngsters, when you dress like an idiot, people deem you as an idiot. And that's your choice. You have the choice to choose what you want to look like. You have, the choo- you have the choice to choose how you want to present yourself. That's your choice. And I'm telling you, if you walk around wearing lingerie, there's an, a certain opinion and impulse that that spurs. You know? Any of y'all youngins, any of y'all munchkins listening out there, you know? <sighs> now here's a chance for me to listen to you. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Questions, queries, or qualms, certainly would love to hear from you. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. All right. Quick sip of water. Water break balls. Don't mind me balls. Yes. I recently had the opportunity to read a very fetching autobiography. Up from slavery. The groundbreaking monumental autobiography by Booker T. Washington. Take a look at that. Up from slavery by Booker T. Washington. 
Let me read the back of this for y'all, in case you never heard of them. To say that Mr. Washington has won the gratitude of all thoughtful Southern white men is to say that he has worked with the highest practical wisdom at a large constructive task, for no plan for the upbuilding of the freedom could succeed that ran counter to the Southern opinion. To win the support of Southern opinion, to shape it, was necessarily part of the task. And blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. This is like a dude who was once a slave who rose to educate himself and be president, founder, and builder of the Tuskegee Institute that helped thousands of black Americans gain education and skills, you know, post-slavery. Uh, and the Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University, I believe, is still in operation today. Booker T. Washington. Take a look at that mug. He looks like that dude from those Allstate commercials. Are you in good hands? That's Allstate stand. Are you in good hands? Booker T. Washington. Booker T. I think there was a wrestler that used to call himself Booker T. as well, wasn't there? WWE, Booker T. And you didn't go like that. Booker T. He used to do that and then he'd do like a suplex or something. I don't know. But anyway, Booker T. Washington, folks. Unbelievable. Monumental um, autobiography. Highly recommend it. It's about personal accountability. It's about the uprising of a class. Self-sustainability. The power of trade. The power of skill, the power of education, the power of the heart, the power of the human spirit. You know, as I kind of alluded to, he was a unifying factor between the Southern whites and the Southern blacks. He had a very progressive outlook and attitude, considering he was once a slave. This man was born in bondage and rose to prominence where he's shaking hands with heads of business, heads of industry, personal friend of governors, the president of the United States, globally known, traveled throughout Europe, gave speeches, an educator, and he literally built Tuskegee Institute from the ground up. He used some of those slave, old them slave hymns and them slave skills. Certainly come in handy, boss. You know, a little poetic license here. But, you know, he busted his ass and he built an institution and was a spearhead in black progress. And a lot of times often forgot. Everybody wants to nitpick, you know. Oh, who who did this? Who did that? It's like, well, you got to remember Booker T, folks. So a couple inspiri in, inspiring um, blurbs from the book. Um, you know, just the wisdom of the man. I mean, first of all, like, uh, what was so prominent about him was his speeches. He'd go around and he'd make speeches. You know, he'd give talks on, you know, his upbringing and his 
education and the unifying factors of black and white. And, um, you know, that's a gift. Speech, that's how we communicate with people, right? And something that I find very interesting and that I often talk about on the podcast is, you know, in this world of the societal dream, keeping up with the Joneses, you know, getting yours above everything else, there's so much hot air, hot wind. And one thing I can't stand is like dumb noise, blabbermouths, while that might run contrary to the podcast. One thing I can't stand is a blabbermouth and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blue, right? Booker T talks about that briefly, which really impressed me. And I quote, Simply to be able to speak in public for the sake of talking has never had the least attraction to me. In fact, I consider that there is nothing so empty and unsatisfactory as mere abstract public speaking. But from my early childhood, I have had a desire to do something to make the world better and then to be able to speak to the world about that thing. So insightful. Because, you know, in a sense, I really relate to that because that's what I do. You know, as a stand-up comic, as a performer, I'm trying to be funny, entertaining, insightful, and to the point. And sometimes I take the poetic license, and sometimes the performing aspect can careen and wind and meander. But generally speaking, I do the podcast, and then when I'm out there in my normal life, I like to listen. I don't like talking much. And if you look at the world, there's a lot of people. People always talking at me. And I can hear the word they're saying, just the shadows of my mind. People always be talking at me. I can't hear a word they're saying. And these fucking Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fake ass fucking dummy, dilettante, dipshit morons. You know, like, always people, politicians, pundits, you know, um, preachers, entertainers, public nuisances, drunks. Addicts, always just running their beaks, running their yaps. Very insightful. This man, you know, toured the, the United States and Europe, giving major speeches that united the races and brought black people forward as a race. And, you know, it's like, a very interesting skill to have learned as a slave born in bondage. To be able to just rise from the sweat of his own brow and, you know, the helping hands that he generously acknowledges in the book. But like a self-made man who found a power of speech that ignited something in people. Not talk for the sake of talk. Um... You know, and other insights like, um, for example, finances. One thing that was revealing, which was, you know, true in his time. You know, he was born in 1858, roughly. He doesn't know. You know, he states in the opening of the book, 
He was born in possibly 1857, 1858. There's really no birth record. He just kind of heard from a few people at the post office. They remembered or something, something about he went to the post office and some clerk was like, oh, yeah, we remember uh, something like your mother said, 1857, 1858. I don't know, he was buying a book of stamps and somebody told him, I don't know, something about a post office. And But basically he he was born in either like 1857, 1858. He didn't even know, right? And something that was true in his time, which is true today, is like the saving of face, the keeping up with the Joneses, the materialistic stupidity of society. So here's a little quote that I found interesting. Um, you know, the setup of this is, you know, He's now in Alabama, you know, Tuskegee, Alabama. He's uh, he's going door to door, getting to know the neighbors, getting to know the area. He's about to begin his work setting up the Tuskegee Institute. So here he is, you know, and I quote, he's visiting a family. In these cabin homes, I often found sewing machines which had been bought or being bought on installment, frequently at a cost of as much as $60, or showy clocks for which the occupants of the cabins had paid $12 or $14. I remember on one occasion when I went into one of these cabins for dinner, when I sat down to the table for a meal with the four members of the family, I noticed that while there were five of us at the table, there was but one fork for the five of us. Naturally, there was an awkward pause on my part. In the opposite corner of the same cabin was an organ for which the people told me they were paying $60 in monthly installments. One fork and a $60 organ! Exclamation point. This poor black family just coming out of slavery you know, misguided in their spending. They got one fork for the whole family to share, yet in the corner of the cabin, there's a $60 organ. And I find that so true to this day. People always having to get the next iPhone, the iPhone 11, the iPhone 13, 14, 15, 16, the newest sneakers, the newest computer, the newest video game, this, that, and the other. Trying to buy things where it's like the true gifts of life, you can't really buy. The best things in life are for free. And you put yourself at a deficit when you're always chasing these fleeting, materialistic items. 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 I mean, I'm a lowly janitor. And actually, I, I was. I've been like a tradesperson, you know, a trade laborer, construction laborer, you know, Joe Blow, jack of all trades, master of none, you know, dishwasher, janitor, you know, all sorts of dirty work that I've done. And, you know, much like Booker T here, he was a janitor, you know, he got his humble beginnings as a janitor. But, you know, I've been a janitor and a fucking dishwasher. And I've always just made my money, put my time in, and saved my money. 
And sometimes I'd be talking to friends and acquaintances and they make it seem like money is such a big deal and how do you get in and deadly dumb and a lot of friends I've had have had a lot of friends of mine or acquaintances have had better paying jobs, more prestigious jobs, yet they were always broke. Me, a dishwasher, a janitor, a day laborer, you know, blue collar working person, I just would make my money and save it. I'm like, there's really no trick to money. You just make money, spend it. You make money, save it, and spend it wisely. But there's so many people out there, you know, they got one fork but a $60 organ, metaphorically. Very interesting. Another takeaway from this book um, is the humility that the story of rags to riches, you know, like when slave, when slaves first got their freedom and they're coming off the plantations and he's trying to establish these institutes, the Tuskegee Institute, he um, he meets this old woman, and she's trying to do her best to supply some uh, supply some support in her own way for the Tuskegee Institute. And I quote: "I recall one old colored woman who was about seventy years of age who came to me when we were raising money to pay for the farm. She hobbled into the room where I was leaning, where I was." leaning on a cane. She was clad in rags, but they were clean. She said, Mr. Washington, God knows I spent these best days of my life in slavery. God knows I was ignorant as poor, but, she added, I knows what you and Miss Davidson is trying to do. I knows you is trying to make better men and better women for the colored race. I ain't got no money, but I want you to take these six eggs. Why don't you take these six eggs right here? What I's been saving up, as I want you to put these six eggs into the education of these boys and gals. Since the work at Tuskegee started, it has been my privilege to receive many gifts for the benefit of the institution, but never any, I think, that touched me so deeply as this one. Isn't that a beautiful story? Some kindly old grandmother. Nah, I ain't got no money. But I want to give you this, these here six eggs that I've been saving. <laughs> it's so sweet. And it reminds me of the innocence of people. You know what I mean? Like. We're just people. You know what I mean? Somebody humble enough to give six eggs and black or white, like, don't we just look at people and just see a humanity? I don't know, something very touching about that. Indeed. As Booker Washington wrote, you know, um, and then um, a couple things here I want to, a couple quotes I'll give to you here before I close out. Um, meaningful ones. Uh, just his overall outlook on work and 
what it takes to make it in life. And um, this is some of his outlook here. It means a great deal, I think, to start off on a foundation which one has made for one's self. When our old students return to Tuskegee now, as they do often, and go into our large, beautiful, well-ventilated, and well-lighted dining room, and see tempting, well-cooked food, largely grown by the students themselves, and see tables, neat tablecloths, napkins, and vases of flowers upon the tables, and hear singing birds, and note that each meal is served exactly upon the minute, and no disorder, with almost no complaint coming from the hundreds and now hundreds of people now filling our dining room, they too often say to me that they are glad that we started as we did and built ourselves up year by year by a slow, natural growth. The process of slow, natural growth. You know? Invaluable. Truly. That idea of just Start where you are, start where you can, and just build yourself. You know? Another very interesting, uh, you know, outlook of his. In all my acquaintance, or in this, in this, uh, in this quote, he's referring to General Armstrong. General, General Armstrong was a general, um, I guess... He, he was a Yankee. He fought on the North against the Southern whites during the, uh, the Civil War. And he, fe- he was like the headmaster at the Hampton Institute. That's where Booker T. Washington went as a young man, where he was first formally educated. And he maintained a very close relationship with General Armstrong, General Armstrong, Throughout, their, throughout his lifetime. So in, in, this, in this snippet, he's, he's talking about General Armstrong. In all my acquaintance with General Armstrong, I had never heard him speak in public or in private a single bitter word against the white men in the South. From his example in this respect, I learned the lesson that great men cultivate love and that only little men cherish a spirit of hatred. I learned that assistance given to the weak makes one who gives it strong, and the oppression of the unfortunate makes one weak. It is now long ago that I learned this lesson from General Armstrong and resolved that I would not permit no man, no matter what his color might be, to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. With God's help, I believe that I have completely rid myself of any ill feeling toward the southern white man for any wrong they may have inflicted upon my race. I am made to feel just as happy now when I am reading service to southern white men as when the service is rendered to a member of my own race. I pity from the bottom of my heart any individual who is so unfortunate as to get into the habit of holding race prejudice. That's coming from the mouth of an ex-slave. I pity from the bottom of my heart any individual who is so unfortunate as to get into the habit of holding race prejudice. Powerful. 
This is like a template to race relations in the United States of America. This can solve racial relations worldwide. I mean, he's already a historical figure, Booker T. Washington. Sometimes we forget these things as time goes by. We get caught up with keeping up with the Kardashians and, you know, what's the latest dumb, stupid thing on the internet? Like J.R. the P., Jonathan Ramstrand, the podcast. And the wisdom is right for us to see. Pretty powerful stuff. So, you know, a um, couple more. Um, oh, there's a couple funny ones here too. Uh, check this one out here. Um, oh no, no, here's 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 a good one too in re- in regards to uh, work and stuff like that. Um, very interesting quote. Um, where is it? Oh, yeah. In the long run, the world is going to have the best, and any difference in race, religion, or previous history will not long keep world, the world, from what it wants. I think that the whole future of my race hinges on the question of whether or not it can make itself of such indispensable indispensable value that people in the town and state where we reside will feel that our presence is necessary to the happiness and well-being of the community. No man who continues to add something to the material, intellectual, and moral well-being of the place in which he lives is long left without proper reward. This is a great human law which cannot be permanently nullified. A great human law. No man who continues to add something to the material, intellectual, and moral well-being of the place in which he lives is long left without proper reward. Yeah. Add something to society. Add something. Black, white, Asian, whatever you is, add something. You know? Got a lot of people squawking about, you know, affirmative action, social reform, Black Lives Matter, trans rights, gay rights, feminist issues. Look within, add value, and your place is yours to have. That's a human law. And we respond to that. Like most people with empathy and a level head can see injustice. Most people can see justice. Like, oh, that is deserving of reward. They're not just going to merely withhold anything from you. You got to put forth, put forth that effort. Very interesting. And... Um, there are some funny things in here too, though. Um, uh, not intentionally, but um, in this in this one little one here, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just give you a quote. <laughs> some reporter sees um, this is like a, 
this is like a news article that he quotes and um it's it's on the subject of public speaking and this is a letter that some some this is like an article that some reporter writes and they say um while president cleveland was waiting at gray gables today to send the electric spark that started the machinery of the atlanta exposition a negro moses <laughs> a negro moses stood before a great audience of white people and delivered an oration that marks a new epoch in the history of the South. A body of Negro troops marched in procession with the citizen soldierly, soldiery of Georgia and Louisiana. A Negro, a Negro Moses stood and orated. That's hilarious. He was referred to as the Negro Moses of his time. That wasn't like a headline or anything, but that was just something that I found funny. <laughs> a Negro Moses. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Would I ever want to be referred to as a Negro Moses? Is that like flattery? I guess. A Negro Moses. <laughs> and, you know, like his, his, um, his message, his work was widespread. And something very interesting in conjunction with today is, um, you know, he got a letter from the uh, John Hopkins University. And, um, you know, he gets this letter of invitation. Dear Mr. Washington, would it be agreeable for you to be one of the judges of award in the Department of Education at Atlanta? If so, I shall be glad to place your name upon the list. A line of telegraph will be welcomed. Yours very truly, D.C. Gillum, Joseph Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University, Baltimore. So yeah, he's getting letters of request from John Hopkins University. And in this modern day, which is very interesting, you know, like COVID-19, all the stupid drummed up theory, <coughs> information coming out of uh, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So, like, very much the present day connected with Booker T. Washington, you know? He got an honorary degree from Harvard, you know, Harvard University. Gave him an honorary degree in his day as well. So there's a lot of prominent institutes that, are, that have association with Booker T. Washington. Harvard. John Hopkins University, Tuskegee Institute. And um, I can't recommend this book enough. Straight from the mouth of an ex-slave. Booker T. Washington, an autobiography. I'll post the link in the description. You can get it on Amazon. Something like, it was around like $15 or something. It was under $20, you know? Booker T. Washington, up from slavery. Yeah. Very, very powerful. You know, certainly changed my outlook and inspired some work ethic in me. And also... What a great bridging of the gap in race relations. So, highly recommended.
And as for me, folks, as always, banging it out, stand-up comedian, actor extraordinaire. More things to come. I'm on the grind as usual. Like my man Booker T said, you know, it's a human law, you know. You got to get up there and do something and blah, 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 you know. So, yeah, I'm just going to keep rocking with it. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 27th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Booker T. Washington. Yeah. Um, gender reveal explosions and, uh, you know, children wearing lingerie in public. What are your thoughts? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jeanathan-ramcharan.com. And of course, as always, if you're enjoying the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, you live it, you love it, you realize it. The best is yet to come, folks. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry.